Overland to the World, The Cerberus Blues to the Rescue, a serialized, satirical novel of Americans on a European tour by Walter Bone. Jeffrey Snow was a sexy northerner. Though raised within earshot of the Durham Bells, he wasn't a Geordie. He loved properly pronounced vowels, consonants, disliked football, weak brown ale, and dogs. The final score of a sports match also never fizzed out Jeffrey's natural effervescence. What was more depressing than a Newcastle United victory? Knowing another wouldn't come again until, perhaps, a Brexit deal. Critics of Jeffrey Snow, even his own mates, yeah, wondered if he was British because he was so devoid of vice, like stopping after four pints of stout. Wasn't the arrogant thing Sir Edwardian? And who else but Austin Powers wore an ascot? Was he merely a self-made satirical manifestation of his own insecurities? Few appreciated his epigrammatical musings, and no one seemed to recognize he was the reincarnation of Oscar Wilde, minus the homosexuality, talent, and wit. His ability to take the piss from himself, however, ultimately convinced most of being a half-pint of cider British. It was impossible to be a romantic these days without being labeled something offensive or off-color like being French, or worse, continental. Being a tortured romantic required energy. At five in the morning, the impracticality of melancholia revealed itself in his inability to shave. Geoffrey inspected the bald gash in his reddish beard. The new razor was a ghastly decision. The chip was noticeable, but was it worth shaving off his inaugural personality? Nay, the beard suited him. Sitting on the toilet, tired and unsettled, combing his short, dirty blonde hair with his fingers, Geoffrey knew the great poets never had to postpone depression. Did they work like commoners? Since no alarm clock regulated Byron and Shelley, they could afford marinating a broken heart. Throughout the night, Geoffrey awoke three times. For a reason he knew all too well, he put on his shoes before his trousers. For fifteen minutes, he looked for his specs. They were on his face. The culprit for such insomnia and angst was the three by five bubble envelope on his nightstand. The most significant decision of my twenty-nine years, comes down to posting this thing. He soon collapsed in the hallway, stared at the cracked ceiling. I'm coming apart. What more can happen to me now? A recomposed Geoffrey Snow scuttled out of his flat in Brent Cross, a suburb in Greater Northern London, near the Brent Cross shopping centre and the M1 motorway, and crossed the street for the royal letterbox. He hesitated, trembled, the envelope moistening between his lips. He scraped nervous fingertips across the bald gash in his beard. Should I do this? Am I foolish? An idiot? Everyone, including his own mum, said he was. The envelope, however, generated a momentum of its own, powerless to halt its delivery. Still, he had his doubts. He knelt to tie his Buster Browns, closed his eyes, and despite being consciously British and devoutly secular, he prayed as if writing, Dear Diary. Dear God, what the hell am I doing? Then he thought, I've been reduced to using apostrophe. Was anyone watching or listening? Would addressing himself plaintively in the early morning before a royal red letterbox tarnish his dapper, urbane, and cosmopolitan veneer? A warm liquid, however, soon squirted onto his trousers. He wasn't alone. Leaping forward, screaming, ah, Geoffrey embraced the letterbox, his right leg soaking. Geoffrey's neighbor, Jenkins, no one knew his first name. Perhaps not even Jenkins, was escorting his tea. M of desert beige pugs for their morning constitutional. 
Jenkins, a jolly, rubicund fellow, disguised his intelligence in seeming madness. On Sundays, with no football, his white beard resembled Saint Nick. Just prior to a game, more Dumbledorean. And when Chelsea wasn't winning, or worst, lost, Gandalf the Grey and suicidal. To Geoffrey, his beasts were thugs, not pugs. They were all named after Chelsea footballers. Over the years their names had changed, depending on that year's roster. One thug, larger than the others, and seeming leader, or alpha, Geoffrey's urinating nemesis, pranced hysterically on the pavement. The thugs were like the mythical three-headed dog guarding the gates of Hades. The image of the Cerberus chilled Geoffrey because, being a neo-symbolist, he wanted this quest to lead to salvation rather than damnation. Oye, Geoffrey Snow, I saw that you, mate, violating the sanctity of our majesty's letterboxes now. Your thug just urinated on me. Backquote is named Batshuyi, Jenkins said, gathering the blue checkered leashes together. Is it backquote is fault? Yeah, that you were kneeling in supplication at backquote is usual piss spot. Supplication, I was lacing me shoe, Jeffrey said, pulling the warm, wet trousers away from his leg, his fingertips moist. The pugs wore blue and yellow knitted outfits emblazoned with the Chelsea Football Club insignia. Smashed, crinkly little faces poked out of the ruffled, knitted turtleneck collars. It was the handiwork of the lovely wife of Jenkins. Who could Jenkins symbolize, standing there like a buffoon, juggling a pooper scooper and leashes in one hand and a freshly picked flower bouquet in the other? Jenkins pulled, shamelessly, his green satin robe across his bare, chubby chest, and hoisted, as best as he could, his Chelsea FC boxes over his belly. I suppose a prayer before one of your little travel adventures was in order. Who is it for safe travel? Oye, Saint Francis, I'm not Catholic, Geoffrey replied, annoyed, why defend himself against his seeming irreligiosity? He examined the envelope, sniffed, and shook his head. Jenkins was alluding to Geoffrey's professional job as a tour director for educational travel adventures. Batshuyi, did you piss on that too? Batshuyi, Batshuyi, I'm talking to you. Jenkins pulled on his leash and turned to Geoffrey. Backquote he's still learning his new name. Was the missive terribly important? Just a small matter of possibly altering the course of me life, he replied. Jenkins placed his hand on Geoffrey's shoulder. Being as you're a religious man, Geoffrey, perhaps God directed you backquote air for Batshuyi to piss on it, as a warning to you. Perhaps some divine prognostication. Maybe as an omen, you know. A portentous sign to signify. Do you think God directed Batshuyi's genitalia? God works in mysterious ways, as I've backquote erred. So what were you praying for? I wasn't praying, I was mentally digesting. Prayer by any other name still doesn't give confidence in our royal mail. I wasn't praying, Geoffrey cried. I was meditating on whether I should post this roll of film to, after all, I, what's that on your beard? A frantic hand immediately covered his chin, trying to weave his whiskers tighter to close the obvious gash, or nick. It's nothing, yeah, nothing, Geoffrey said, stammering, backing away. Suddenly, he felt as if he just squashed a banana with his shoe. His nose confirmed the worst. Overjoyed, Jenkins commended Gwahi the pug on his perfectly formed stool. He's backquote at a terrible time lately with the loose ones. It's Chelsea, when they lose, he ge. T.S. the runs, but they won last night. There's nothing loose about that one, oh boy. 
Just then, a jealous Loftus cheek the pug jumped on Guihi and nipped his ear, causing Batshui the pug to yelp and retreat behind Jenkins who wedged himself between the two. Jenkins yelled something about them being on the same team. Just like footballers, Jenkins said, always wanting attention. So much drama. They're drama queens, you know. Jeffrey sat on the pavement, digging the feces out of the grooves of his shoe with a twig. Without looking at Jenkins, he said, this package has caused me considerable anguish and if it means anything to you, we'll pray for you. Couldn't backquote Ert, eh? Now me and my dogs, we're not religious, unless you call Chelsea Football Club a religion. Then amen, Jeffrey, amen and hallelujah. Glory be to Chelsea in the highest. Jenkins called his trinity of thugs to his side. While swinging the bouquet over his head like a baton, he sang, For we are Chelsea and we are supreme, we'll never be mastered by no northern bastards, and we'll keep the blue flag flying, I-G-H. Jeffrey spotted a few lights going on in the neighborhood and heard the creak of a closing window. Jenkins, I think we're waking the entire, flying back quote I-G-H, up in the sky, we'll keep the blue flag flying back quote I-G-H, from Stamford Bridge to Wembley, we'll keep the blue flag flying back quote I-G-H. Bringing the bouquet down in front of his chest, Jenkins lowered his head and said solemnly, Amen. Jeffrey tapped Jenkins on the shoulder. I'm a northern bastard, born and raised in Durham, and then educated in Newcastle. Remember that one time I bought the round of Newcastle Brown? And because you were buying, we didn't complain. With six feet of leash trailing behind him, Reuben Loftus cheeked the thug casually circled Jeffrey, sniffing the ground around Jeffrey's shoes. Being a Geordie I suppose you're a Newcastle fan. I'm one of those unenlightened few who dislike moods to fluctuate on the success of a single team. Jenkins lowered his head. I've never met no one more into sassy syntax and elaborate elocutions. We think you're one of those international continentals, praying and pontificatin. But why you backquote eight dogs so much? It's just that I always preferred the company of my own species. Did you backquote hear that, boys? He's backquote homo sapien centric. I have an overdeveloped sense of myself. I do not need the lapping of unchecked love every minute of the day to know I'm a fine person. I can do that very well myself. If his life was a Greek play or a biblical tale, the gods were definitely doing everything possible to torment the young hero. Just then, Jeffrey tripped over the leash wrapped around his ankles. With his back on the pavement, Jeffrey raised his leg as Jenkins helped him to untangle the leash. As if intoxicated by the scent of his shaving cream, the thugs licked Jeffrey's face. How much more torment could he endure? He pleaded, okay, okay, to stop the tongue licking torture. How could he defend his masculinity? I did play rugby while at university. Jenkins withdrew his hand. What position? Flanker, I was quicker then. Obviously. Jenkins nodded his head and helped him to his feet. He seized Jeffrey's shoulders tightly inspected his tall, thin frame, checking the girth of his biceps and muscle on his midriff. A little scrawny, but strong, broad shoulders. Didn't he want to hear about this package? I would imagine that would be none of our business. Jeffrey took a deep breath. What gave him more joy than telling everyone about his mad love pursuits? You see, this package contains a roll of film with the words, develop me, I. N.S. cribbed in delicate calligraphy on a cream-colored placard.
It is for an Italian woman of exquisite beauty and charm who I met last year in Rome. Her name is Stephanie. We had a wonderful time, Jenkins, wonderful, you see, but then two weeks later, her fiancé Luca, found out, and started looking for me. I heard rumors of a knife. My Italian is good enough to translate the words pasty arrogant white bastard, blood, and death. That was your trouble, mate. Italy, what's wrong with Brighton or Torquay? This package contains quite a story, filled with heartache. Who's engaged to an Italian mafioso named Luca? I'm actually not sure he's Italian, Jeffrey said. He may be Sicilian, but it looks like the wedding plans may be, well, ending, and this little package here, the thugs pulled on their leashes. Sorry, mate, we need to leave. The missus needs the flowers they picked. It's the little things that spice the marriage soup. I'm sure the four of you make quite a husband. Now when you get back, I'll take you to Chelsea Village for a good burly game of football and a right good Chelsea brew. Make you forget all about cream-colored placards. Just then, Batshuyi the thug snatched the envelope and shredded the missive. It contained 24 pictures of his devotion and love, like a picture of Jeffrey playing the guitar with sunglasses, and a card that read, I'm singing the blues without you. And another one, bananas on his head with a sign that read, I'm bananas without you. Was anything in that envelope essential? Jeffrey was shocked. He told Jenkins the whole story. Batshuyi did you a favor, mate. That's the stupidest thing we've ever, heard. What's wrong with British women? You're a dashing lad, mate, and while not fully in your senses, I'm sure with your semblance of brain and brawn, you could easily find a British lass without so much drama. The 24 pictures in that film roll uncoiled like a leash. The sun ruined all the romance. Jeffrey sighed, sniffed his fingers, his trouser leg cold and uncomfortable. Jenkins, you're right, and what has happened this morning, with your thugs and all, I have seen the light. Jeffrey kneeled on the ground and thanked the muses for his deliverance. Jeffrey collapsed on the pavement, hitting his head and briefly passing out, most likely from ennui rather than a concussion. How long did he remain there? He didn't know. A snorting and a sniffing sound startled him out of his dream. Was it a dream, or did an angelic face appear in the sunrise between the grey clouds above him? Then that voice. Was he hearing things? Then, a soft, wet tongue on his cheek. Warm and lovely. Was he aroused in this fantasy? It seems like you've backquote had a horrid morning. It was the wife of Jenkins, almost identical in every way, minus the white beard and the thugs and the gruff manner. It was her Scottish terrier, or terror, as he called her, lapping his face with slobber and sobriety. Geoffrey smiled. She heard all about the ordeal, and I came out with a fresh cup of Yorkshire black tea that should restore you to, Alf. Geoffrey cupped the fine china and sipped. Strong and perfect. Where could he find such a woman as the wife of Jenkins? The wife of Jenkins then said, Geoffrey, my son, free your, hands of shit if you want to, hold something good. Didn't your mum none ever tell you that? Jeffrey nodded that his fine mum did, but then said, I've been in the habit of neglecting fine advice. Dawn broke over the stone houses. He looked at his watch. It was time to depart for Heathrow, but not until he finished the tea and sat with the wife of Jenkins for more sage advice. Did you like the flowers? Jeffrey asked. That's the fifth bunch of flowers, he's brought. Oh may this week, she said and it's always to apologize for some rigmarole or other.
If he could turn me house into a desert, I'd he, happy, but we all must count our blessings. Thank you for reading. Read more from the novel Overland to the World.